Okay, so we learned the meaning of Basra Lagani. I've come back to my garden and how this verse has many applications. This is this is referring to Hashem, how Hashem revealed Himself in Mount Sinai, how Hashem rested in the Mishkan, in the first and second temple, and the ultimate expression of this is in the third base of Migdash, which will last forever. And we also learned that um, this endeavor to bring the Shechina into this world is something that uh, every single Jew is empowered to do, is is commanded to do, to be part of. And th- we learned that the main ingredient of this temple is is Shittim, which means foolishness. And what that means practically is, is that even though we aren't proud of it, but the fact that we have something in us that brings us to act beneath logic and reason, we have an animalistic drive, and it causes us to do things that we're not proud of. But uniquely because of that, uh, we are we have to go to the other extreme in order to ba- balance ourselves out. Like Maimonides says, that if you find yourself going to one extreme, you have to balance yourself out by going to the other extreme. So because we have this uh, beneath logic and reason part of ourselves, we need to counter that with that which is beyond logic and reason. And that's the reason why the tabernacle was built from the wood of Shittim. It is this that, in other words, it's not just because of our own um, shortcomings that we need to have this beyond logic and reason thing. It's also because that's what the tabernacle is, needs to be made out of. The boards of the tabernacle, the word board we learned has the same letters as the word for lie, sheker, and the tabernacle is made from taking the lie of the world. The world lies, the world conceals godliness, and the world says that I am, I'm a separate entity. To take the lie of the world and tr- to transform it and to make that itself, the lie of the world itself, a place for Hashem. And why are we uniquely empowered to do this? Uh, we explain why we need to do it, but why are we empowered to do it? We're empowered to do it because we are the army of Hashem. What is the meaning of the army of Hashem? That just like a soldier, he, he enters a battle with the thought that I'm going to give my life for this battle. Without that intent, that he's ready to give his life, he cannot win the war. And so to every Jew has this sense of Kiddush Hashem, that I'm going to give my life for the sake of Hashem's name. And because we have that Shus um, Dusha, we have this devotion to Hashem to go beyond logic and reason, and to give our lives for Hashem, that's why uniquely we are equipped to uh, build the, the third base of English through our efforts today, through subduing our animal soul and transforming it, subduing the urges we have to do the wrong thing or the urge not to do the right thing. So we have the um, army-like um, attitude of giving our lives for the sake of Hashem, and that's why we are able to um, uh, build this home for Hashem that is um, created from that which is beyond logic and reason, a home made out of shita. Because we have that in us. We have we are soldiers. Okay, now we're in the second, um, the third part of the first section of the Mimer. The previous Rebbe continues to explain and says this, 
In order to be victorious in this war, there is something that is given to us. This is this treasure house that is given to us from on high. Just like a human king, when he has to wage war, although he may have treasures that he has never touched, and not just treasures that he himself has amassed, but also the treasures that he, that his forefathers gathered together, which are so precious to him that he doesn't even show them to people. But for the sake of winning the war, this is something that the king intends to do, the king wants to do. And it's something which is more important to him than his logic. And therefore he does something which is not logical. He, he, he gives away all of these treasures, and through the giving, away, giving away the treasures, that's how he wins the war. That's, that's, his intent is to win the war, it's his desire is to win the war, his desire is beyond logic and reason, and therefore he goes beyond logic and reason, he gives away all this freely. What does this mean spiritually for us? That's the analogy. What is the analog? Let's first go into the king. The idea of victory is, emanates from the attribute of the soul called Netzach, which means victory. There's a part of the soul that um, rises above challenges to get the job done. Our, our emotions have good ideas, our, our intellect has good ideas, our emotions have good feelings. But in order for things to actually happen, you have to go through the lower spheres. Netzach is the first of the lower spheres where you say, I'm going to go further, I'm going to withstand the challenges, I'm going to resist whatever challenges there are, I need to do this. So this part of the soul, which takes the good thoughts and good feelings and actually gets them done, that is a very deep, it has a very deep root in the soul. The greater man is, the more his power of victory will be deeper. The more this attribute of victory is deeper in his soul. This is similar to what our sages taught about, about the scholars. Scholars say, it says in the Talmud, any Torah scholar that does not take vengeance, does not bear a grudge like a snake, is not a Torah scholar. Obviously, the Torah scholar we're talking about is not taking vengeance and bearing a grudge for his, his own honor, but it's something that he is doing for the sake of Hashem. That there's something that is in Hashem's desire that he that has to happen, and he employs the uh, vengefulness and the uh, the vengeance of the snake to get the job done. So this is this is how the attribute of victory plays out in a virtuous way. Because he is on such a plane, so he really is concerned that it has to happen. But exactly how this is done, don't try this at home, folks. Look in the Gemara, look in the Postkim, how this is done. Um, remember reading recently about um, 
ethics of our fathers. It talks about be, be careful with the sages. Shin shichas na shichas shul vakitzas na kitzas akrav vakitzas na chishas saraf. Be careful of the sages because their bite and their, uh, another word for bite, their sting and their hissing is like a snake, like a scorpion. So when I sent on Moshe, I to take the shoes off your feet, na'alecha, so, the, so someone, I don't remember who it was, one of the commentaries explained that the word na'al is also an acronym for these three attributes in the sages, their bite, and the shichasen is nun, ayin zakitzasen, their sting, and lichichasen, lamed is their hissing. So the, these, Hashem was telling Moshe don't be like those guys who have all those um, um, untoward qualities in the negative way. Um, they can be used in a negative way. But because I think the more, the more a person is, um, is, has something to him that he's fighting for, uh, the more virtuous he is, the more of a, of a Torah scholar he is in the, in, the, in the true sense of the word. But that's why we need the Gemara and the Pais to tell us how to use that that incredible strength that he possesses because of his devotion to Hashem. But people who are, uh, you know, more free, happy-go-lucky, they don't have this attribute of victory so much because they don't have so many... They're not so principled. The Talmud Chacham is so principled and he cares so much about his principles. That's why he, it's, it's, he has this attribute of vengeance and and uh, this is true for the Torah scholar. How much more so is this true for a king? The king, as it says about King Shaul, his shoulders are above the heads of all the people. Not just above the heads of the regular people, but his shoulders are higher also than the top ministers. So because the king is above everyone, therefore he, he um, has attribute of victory more than others. And because of this attribute of victory in his soul, which is triggered by this, by this war, even those treasures that no eye has seen, not only does he open them up, not only does he give them away, even more, he gives them away in a way of bizbus, he gives them away that freely, Without, without, um, without discernment, he just freely gives them away. And he, he, he distributes them through his officers. Although he uses his officers to distribute them, the intent of the king is not for the sake of the officers. Who does he want to receive these treasures? It is the soldiers. It's they who are victorious. They're the ones who make the victory happen. Behind what this means is, Although his, his generals are those who are invested, and they know all of the wisdoms and the tactics of war, However, the ones who are actually victorious are the soldiers who give their lives actually practically. 
as the previous ever right at the end of the series of discourses that he gave to be distributed on David's passing. So the ones who actually get it done are, are these simple soldiers. In order that the Jewish people should be victorious in this battle and to transform the lie of the world and make the lie of the world instead into a board for the tabernacle that Hashem's presence should be revealed here in this world. So what does Hashem give us? Hashem gives the Jewish people not only those things which are in the realm of revelation, not only the godly energy, which is in the realm of revelation, which is something which is ordinarily revealed, even those things which are ordinarily are like that treasure in the analogy. That are hidden in, from the eyes of all. And only the king himself knows about them. So the king gives those away too. That means we're talking about something which is beyond the realm of revelation, even the highest kind of revelation. In the Mimer that we're learning, um, this was again the third time they ever seen a Mimer of Basel Gani in the year in 1964. So we don't have the first uh, two times that the Rebbe gave this, this discourse, just have a, a few notes that people made on, the, on, on, that, on those discourses that um, uh, where, there was, where they noticed some differences that the Rebbe didn't say in the third time, but we don't have all, the whole entire discourse. So one of the things um, that they um, write is that uh, what exactly is this um, treasure? And how does it come down to the world? So in the Maimur and Shabbos, the Rebbe said that this treasure, it comes down to the world first within a seminal point, and then it spreads to the east and west and, and, and south and east, uh, north and south. So how does it come down? What is it? It's Mesiris Nefesh. As we discussed earlier that the soldiers have this Mesiris Nefesh power, but Hashem... Um, brings it into us. Hashem, Hashem reveals that in us. Um, and that, so, so we first feel this, this, this um, we're first given the ability to reveal that sense of devotion to Hashem, of Mesir's Nefesh. And then that Mesir's Nefesh is something that spreads. I, I, I assume that means that it's, this Mesir's Nefesh doesn't just stay in a uh, uh, in a state of potential, but it becomes part of who we are, to the east and the west and north and south of who we are. Another point um, that I made in the Shabbos Mimer, which wasn't repeated in the Saturday Night Mimer, is this. Um, just like we're talking about in Hashem, that there is this place, this treasure house that was not shown to people. And Hashem gives away this treasure house to uh, win the war. So in ourselves also, we also have a treasure house, this Mesiris Nefesh, this idea of the absolute devotion to Hashem. And we have also parts of ourselves which are uh, not so deep, which are more revealed. Just like an analogy, the king has his regular budget that he uses, his regular um, coffers for. So in our souls, 
we have our regular coffers, our giluyim. So if we're just using our, the, the revealed parts of the soul, it's not enough. Um, since Hashem is giving us something, morning, which is higher than revelation, so it says that tzaddikim are like their creator. And since Hashem is giving us something which is beyond revelation, so He also wants us to do the same. If you're on the level of an actual tzaddik, so then your service of Hashem could be, according to logic and reason, and, and you'll do the right thing because you're a tzaddik. And so you'll serve Hashem in your parameters. That's light. That's, that's revelation. A tzaddik serves Hashem in a way of revelation, meaning with what, with what he has, with, with what he has in his coffers, with his persona. His persona is a righteous, holy persona. But since Hashem is giving us something which is beyond revelation, so it's not sufficient to serve Hashem just with what we have, meaning our heart, our soul. We also have to serve Hashem b'chol miyedecha. B'chol miyedecha means mesiris nefesh. And it's not, it's not that we need this to reach what's called mahadrin mina mahadrin. It's not that we need to employ our mesiris nefesh for the sake of, of, of doing the service of Hashem in the most beautiful possible way, the beautiful beyond beautiful, so to get to that extra oomph, to make it even more beautiful, we have to tap into our mysterious nefesh. But it's more than that. In order to win the war against evil, you need to have mysterious nefesh. You can't win the war without this. There, is, there are different kinds of evil. And it's possible... That, are, that the evil could infiltrate even into the realm of, the, uh, of those who are um, trying to do the right thing. So, like the Talmud says, there are those people with the power of Torah say that, that which is non-kosher is kosher, and which is kosher is not kosher. They say the halacha opposite of the Torah. Why is it, where, where does this come from? Because the Torah for them is just a logical thing. And since it's just logical, so logic is fungible they could use their minds to, um, to get the wrong idea out of Torah, to, to, to not understand the Torah. And the order to be victorious in the war, you have to specifically employ that which is beyond logic and reason. So, in short, just like Hashem has a, has a treasure house in heaven, a godly revelation that only He Himself knows about and has never been revealed before in history, and He gives that to us to win the war, so too in ourselves, we cannot just try to use our um, logic and reason, the, the parts of ourselves which are more in our persona, we have to specifically employ, to contend with the evil of the world, if to specifically employ um, that which is beyond logic and reason, our deeper self, our essence, our neshama, our mysterious nefesh. Okay. So, in order to explain exactly what is this godly revelation that... Um, that is, is hidden from the eyes of all, that Hashem gives to us. So to discuss this, the Rebbe goes into, into this in detail, discussing the greatness of Hashem, and through this we can begin to contrast and describe the treasure, which is given uniquely in history only to us. The highest revelation, meaning, not talking about the treasure, but the highest revelation is revelation which has no end, 
And that's why the previous Rebbe quotes the Zohar. In his Maimer, the Zohar says that the infinite light of Hashem <coughs> extends infinitely high and infinitely low. The Zohar calls it the light of Hashem. If we're calling, talk, calling it the light of Hashem, that means we're talking about something which is not essence, it's not something which is beyond revelation. We're talking about revelation. Light, one of the parameters of what light is, is revelation. We're not talking about a, a stam, a, a, a lower kind of revelation. We're talking about a light which is infinite. Which has no end. Extends infinitely lamaila and it extends infinitely lamata, infinitely high and infinitely low. What does that mean? Infinitely high and infinitely low, infinitely low. But the point is that we're talking about a very lofty revelation, and yet um, it's still in the realm of revelation, not beyond revelation. Let's first explain what this light is about. And the previous have explained in his discourse what this means. He starts off discussing the second phrase, how the infinite light of Hashem descends low without any limit. Although in the Zohar, it um, although in the Zohar it talks about Hashem's light going infinitely high, how high this light is, it goes higher and higher without any end, the higher and higher. Um, revelations of this light, the Zohar set prefaces that in the Zohar's statement, the light of Hashem, the infinite light of Hashem extends infinitely high, but the previous Rebbe doesn't talk about that first. He talks instead about the lower phrase. Why? So in the Maimur on, on Shabbos, Rebbe says it's because we don't need to know so much about the high part. What's, negate, what, what's pertinent to us is, is Hashem's light descending to the lowest of places. We're more familiar with low than we are familiar with high because of our vantage point in the, um, in the, the spiritual cosmos. And you go to a museum, and it says, uh, you are here in the map, right, trying to find your place. We are in Lamata Mata Tachas. We're more familiar with, which, with Hashem's infinite light descending lower and lower and lower. So from understanding how the light of Hashem extends so low, that will give, give us some insight in the first part of the phrase, how, how the light of Hashem um, is extends infinitely high as well. How Hashem's light is is uh, infinitely high. Not just not just extends to the lowest of places, but from that we can understand the first phrase, and this will give us insight. This is where we're going to talk about the treasure that which is beyond the realm of what revelation. So there's three parts of the discussion. There's how Hashem's light in, extends infinitely low. This gives us some insight to how it is infinitely high. And this will help us contrast and, and discuss the treasure which is beyond revelation because both infinitely low and infinitely high are still in the realm of revelation. So um, the previous episode discusses the, um, just briefly, we're going to get this into this tomorrow, but the previous, the previous episode discusses that what, the, what it means when we say Hashem's light extends infinitely, infinitely low. 
That means it extends to this world, this physical world, the world which in this world, not only do we have holiness in this world, not only do we have mundane things in this world, we also have klipa in this world. This is something which is especially connected to this physical world, the world of Asiya. We even have things which are lower than klipa. What's lower than klipa? You heard about the Savaya? These two chassidim had a fabrengen, they had a fabrengen. And one of the chassidim's name was Lippe. His friend says, discusses in Kabbalah, the lowest thing is Klippe. But Klippe is only Ki Lippe. Lippe is even worse. Okay. Ki Lippe. Lippe, you're, you're, you're worse. That's what, that was his insult to this chassid by the fabrengen. Ki Lippe. Klippe is only Ki Lippe, but you're Lippe himself. Anyways, so, so the Friedrich explains that um, the light of Hashem extends lowest of places. What's lowest of places means? It means not only to create holy things, to create mundane things, not only to create the realm of klippa, which klippa includes two parts, the, the things which are kosher and things which are not kosher, but even lower than that is the, he's a human being who's able to transgress the will of Hashem. The lowest klippa is this mosquito. Why is, a klippa, why is a mosquito called the lowest of klippa? Because the mosquito has this tendency to only take things for itself and not to, not to give anything out, just to take things for itself. So, but the mosquito was doing the role of why it was created. The mosquito was created to be that way. Um, but a, a person has in himself not just, clipper literally means a shell for the fruit, and Hashem wants the clipper to be there. It serves a function to, in, in Hashem's plan for creation, to having a home in a place of concealment of godliness. But clipper is just a concealment. However, a person has in himself the, a lower kind of clip, a lower kind of evil, where he's able to literally go against the will of Hashem, as the Zohar gives analogy of the harlot, that a king hires a harlot to, to seduce his son to transgress his will. And that's what the king wants her to do. Uh, but a person who actually listens to the Sahara is transgressing the will of Hashem, and it's the lowest, it's, it's even lower. And, um, and then this itself, there's different ways of transgressing the will of Hashem. Transgressing the will of Hashem as, uh, and, and, and um, there is ultimately the lowest kind of place, which is um, taking the head of the king, Chasashalom, and putting the king's head into a dung heap. So that's what a, a Jew, Chachamal's son, is, is, is into, a, into a pool of excrement. That's, what, uh, that's, that's like we learned before about, about right. saying ter- taking Torah and saying the opposite of Torah from Torah. So, although there is, um, uh, uniquely, because we have an Hashem, so we're able to do the right thing, we're also, Hashem, able to do exactly the opposite of the will of Hashem, and to um, take the Hashem energy in us, and do the opposite of the will of Hashem. This is how the infinite light of Hashem descends to the lowest of places. And this will give us uh, insight to uh, understand the greatness of Hashem, Lumayi Ladin Ketz. Okay, we'll stop here. Zaka